Welcome to my podcast, Today's Dream, Tomorrow's Reality. My name is Vicki Poole, and I'm a master transformational coach and hypnotist specializing in habit change. And this podcast is sponsored by The Enlightened Peach. And this podcast is all about, about embracing our mosaic life. And some of you may ask, what is a mosaic life? Well, it's recognizing that all the pieces of our life, the good, the bad, the indifferent, have all come together to make us who we are. Change any one thing and we are different. With that in mind, I invite you to embrace your perceived imperfections and celebrate who you are. This podcast is unedited and raw, just like life. And I am your host. And today I have a special guest that I will be introducing in just a moment. But I would love for you to leave a comment and to remember to like, subscribe, and share. So now let's get started. So this wonderful lady right here is Tahila. Did I say it correctly? Tahila Ludig. Ludig. <laughs> I'll give you the Afrikaans, which most people struggle with. It's Luttig. So it's like a sound, which is very hard to say. So Ludig is fine. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, um, I want to let everybody know that I, one of the things that I do, because I love people's stories and I love sharing them on this podcast. So when I'm in Facebook groups and different places, if I see someone that shares an amazing story or has this amazing, I don't know, life or energy that's coming from them, I reach out. And so I reached out to Gila and um, ask her to be a guest on my podcast. And she has graciously uh, agreed to be here. And um, I will let her just kind of introduce herself because um, I don't think I would do her justice with all the things that um, she does. So we'll we'll start there. How about that? Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. And I am a mom of two to my kids are a year apart I'm a wife but I'm also a couples counselor turned coach I love working with relationships so for me I started as a play therapist and I was helping children but I quickly realized when I helped the parents that the children didn't need to come back and so I've shifted over the last 10-11 years more specifically into couples work and in that transition, I also realized how much of our relationships are determined by our childhood relationships, as well as the relationship we have with ourselves. And so I'm, I'm constantly evolving. Ah, wonderful. And there's probably not a person alive that doesn't need some kind of help, help with counseling <laughs> when it comes to relationships, because <laughs> um, we come with so much baggage that it is like, and everybody's baggage, hell, it could take up the whole airport, you know, the luggage compartment stuff. So, For sure. um, so we all do, I know. And it's getting to the place where we recognize that we need help with it. Um, but I want to take you back when you were a child. Was there um, stuff going on in the home where you were having a problem with communication there? Did you see people having communication problems? What was going on that might have led you to kind of feel like this was your calling? Uh, home life was pretty decent. I don't think that any of us grew up with the emotional resilience that children today stand a chance to because our parents didn't know the importance of, you know, being allowed to express our emotions and things yeah. like that. So um, 
with that said though I don't really there's not a specific incident I had no idea what I wanted to do after school so for me it was uh, I was doing a, a business degree I started with some um, bachelor a BA degree and then I saw communication was one of the subjects and then I went into communication and then psychology and that opened my mind so massively to seeing that you know there's reasons for behaviors and there's reasons behind these behaviors and then that sort of just led me through this rabbit hole and I've always loved working with children so that landed up being in the play therapy and then from the play therapy like I said working with the parents so it's it I, I can't specifically think of an incident um my father had a church and he was a pastor so he'd speak to like large organizations and large groups of people and it was always something I think I was, I was quite shy so to stand on a stage it should be like it was unbelievable for me that somebody could stand in front of all these people and talk and never mind just talk a little bit to be able to speak for hours but I think that's all that comes to mind when I think of communication and childhood specifically yeah. well you know it's it's funny because I was talking to someone yesterday and we were talking about um communication and how we get into this place of not being able to communicate. Cause you know, for me, I had, you know, my, my parents were, you know, were great. And, but they, we like that baggage, they come in with baggage too. And so sometimes I saw that communication was great. Sometimes it wasn't. And I got so fascinated and I didn't realize I was thinking about communication, but what my fascination was, was why do we do what we do? And, you know, um, and so I would read books all the time about the brain or um, our actions. And um, and one of my favorite ones from years ago was wherever you go, there you are. If, I think that's kind of the name of it, you know, and um, that's something I used to tell my children, too. You know, you can't um, be miserable in this space that you are and move across town or to another state and then everything's all rosy because the one common denominator is you're going to be there too. And until you can get to a place where you can love yourself and communicate in your own self, then, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're carrying your baggage with you. And one of the things that uh, I wanted to share real quick, if you don't mind, I go in my Facebook group. I, I have a free Facebook group that's private. It's called Make Lasting Change. And I've been going in there every day and giving a journal prompt and an affirmation for the day. And so today's was just fitting. And I don't, I, I, I create like 35 at a time. And then I have them in this list and then I'll randomly pick them out. So I wasn't even thinking about it. And this morning is so fitting for you being here because the affirmation for the morning, I wrote it down once I all of a sudden I thought, oh, I need to tell her. Um, this morning's affirmation was, I am deserving of love and happiness. And the journal prompt that went with it was right about a time when you truly felt loved and happy. And what can you do to bring more of that into your life? And as I started, you know, prepping for our conversation today, it was like, Oh, that's perfect because that's what she does. She helps people to communicate in their love relationships and the self-love and so much. So um, I would love it if you could kind of share 
how did you, you know, you, you said you were working with, with children and you realized that by working with the parents that the children didn't need to come back. So what is it that you do for the parents that make that happen? I don't know. Is that the, I don't know if that's the right question, but that's what I want to know. <laughs> well, firstly, the affirmation and the journal prompts, I think are so beautiful. I, we did a free masterclass last week on communication and one of the journal prompts in there was also think about a time in your marriage when you two were really happy and you, what were you doing and what can you do to create more of that so it's so aligned to that as for um my my journey For me, uh, while I was doing it, I didn't have the words for it. But what I realized was, you know, when I was helping the children, uh, when I was, went from helping the children to helping the parents, what our children often do is they bring up mirrors to our unhealed parts of self. They bring up the parts of us that was too loud or too noisy or too bossy or too dramatic or too naughty. And so when we see those behaviors in the children, they, they activate that kid within us. And so by helping the parents reintegrate those inner child wounds and to be able to have conversations and heal those parts of themselves, they parent from a state of authentic being. It's not a reflection of their own hurts from childhood. So oh, they can that's really beautiful. show up. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, so you get, so does that mean that you just, you have sessions with the parents together and you're working on their relationship too, or you're working on just them healing those inner child wounds so that they parent better? It's, they generally, they all come and see me regarding the relationship. It's always been to work on their relationship, but my system has changed over the years. So what first I try to do was give them all the tools to help them to communicate better. I've trained Gottman level one and two. Um, I've done, you know, all this, well, for me, the top names in the field, I've done training by Esther Corral, Terence Real, um, you know, Diane Puhela. Like there's just so many people that I absolutely admire in the field. So I've done the training and I'd give them the tools and things. But what I realized over and over again was how this trigger that kept coming up from childhood. So whether you felt safe with love, whether you felt lovable, whether you trusted love, whether you felt you could depend on people, all those patterns would come through. So I they come to me for their marriage, but I help them with all their relationships by healing that first primary idea of relationships and that their sense of trust and lovability. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, in, in Shrek, when he says that we're like onions, we all have layers. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I refer to that quite often because, you know, you, you help them with this one thing and then it reveals this other thing that it's like, Ooh, that we need to work on that now. And then you help them with that. And then it reveals another thing because Usually what the main issue is, is definitely not on the surface at all. Um, and so people come to us, you know, I don't work with relationships. I work with weight loss and um, body image. And so it's amazing how people come to me for weight loss. And then we end up working with so many other things. And then weight loss becomes a result um, of what we've worked on instead of we work mm -hmm. on the wait and then the other stuff happens it's the opposite and so i'm assuming that it's the same with you as well right 
completely uh totally i think you know weight loss is a fascinating journey on its own yeah and i do think that most diets get it wrong because they treat the symptom and not the cause so i love that you you understand those layers and yes with the couples i, I find that you know the, the one part is tools but the other part is healing their inner wounds and then the other part is just so there's the tools and then the wounds but there's also the 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 courage that it takes to to be out there and to be loved and to start using that same courage and compassion for themselves as what they do with other people. Yeah. Well, I'll admit I've been married twice. Um, and my first husband was a lot older than me. So whatever he said, I just thought was golden and, you know, he, he knew it all and everything. And to be honest, when going through that, I, I didn't stand up for myself at all because I thought he was all knowing because he was so much older than me. And um, when that went, you know, I was divorced for about seven years and then I got remarried. And but the interesting thing, which I'm sure you know this, other people probably don't, but all the horrible things, the bad things I learned in that first marriage, I took into my second one because I didn't want to speak up because it was, and he wasn't a lot older than me, but for somehow I had already grabbed this habit of what they say is better than what I say. And I learned that if I speak up, we have a big argument. Everybody feels bad. But then when the argument's over, I'm still in the same place I was. Nothing was resolved, but now I just feel like shit. You know, so I learned very quickly with that, that the best thing to do was to keep my mouth shut because I would pick and choose my battles, but some of them were battles that I really should have stood up for, but I didn't want to deal with the consequences of the upheaval, the upset that it seemed to, to create. And so I'm not in a relationship now because it's like, I'm still working on my stuff uh, because I don't want to get in another relationship and take that piece of baggage with me. Um, and I will admit my my second husband, I loved him dearly. And after we got divorced, we we took a, a, some time away from each other, but we had children and we were we were probably divorced for at least a year or more. And somehow we started seeing each other again romantically. And I find when I've talked to other people that that happens a lot. Um, and we were di um, dieting. We were, um, we were dating in secret so that, you know, nobody knew, but I didn't realize till later that, you know, a lot of people still knew. Um, but uh, what ended up happening was he passed away and he was wanting to get remarried. And I kept saying no, because we're still the same people. I said, we're great at dating, not so much at being married. So we got to figure this out because I can't do it to the kids a second time. So then once he passed, it was like, I felt that if I saw anybody, I was cheating on it. And you can tell it gets me emotional yeah. just talking about it. But, and it's like every relationship I've gotten in since then, sometimes they're 
great for a while. And I don't know what my issue is. If it's that I feel like I'm cheating on him or if it's I'm just not ready, it's not right the right person. But some of them will last for a while and then it's a repetitive thing that happens. I get where I disengage or they disengage. It's one of the two, you know. Um, so I wasn't planning on sharing any of this, but there you are. <laughs> so when you are working with someone that has this kind of pattern going on, yeah. what kind of communication do you help them with? Or, um, and I know I've got a lot of childhood wounds that I work with and I even have mm -hmm. a, a picture. It's a pretty big um, a photograph of myself when I was about five um, hanging in my bedroom and I talk to her quite often and um, you know and have discussions you know <laughs> about what I'm doing and um, just to kind of talk through it you know so what kind of advice would you give someone like me who is having this kind of stuff going on how's that for a big dollop of a question <laughs> How comfortable would you be with me? You know, what I typically would do is go into the into your body and just have a conversation with that part of you that's that's feeling too tearful at the moment. So I mean, we could go straight in and you know give it a go. But I know this is a podcast, so I don't want to hey, I'm, put you on. I'm the an spot. open book, you know. So yeah, let's do it. So there was a part of you that was very tearful right now when you were talking about your ex-husband that passed and just want you to notice where in your body that you're noticing those feelings, you know, it could be in your heart or your eyes, anywhere in your body, just notice where those emotions were stirring when you were talking. Well, I kind of feel it in my eyes and my head. And if you had a climb in there and see yourself in there the little girl that's in there how old do you think she is if you had to climb into that area by your eyes if you feel comfortable with it if you don't then don't do it but if you felt comfortable climbing in there and you can imagine you've got a spotlight or a torch or a candle just to make some light there and you'd see that little girl how old is she four and what is she needing right now a hug and for somebody to say everything's going to be okay would you do that for her something that comes up for me and i use my intuition a lot so i don't use it if it doesn't align but i kind of feel like she needs to know it's not her fault mm. that feels aligned you can help her to put it down okay. proverbial box that she can or a backpack or something and just allow her help her to put that down okay, this isn't yours it's okay it wasn't your fault mm. 
one to go very deep because we're just exploring, understanding how I would do this in a session, but just allowing that part of you that was hurting Nana to be held and give her a big hug. If you can tell her you love her, if you don't feel comfortable, that's also fine. Take a couple of deep breaths, slowly, gently, just to recenter yourself. We could take that a lot deeper, but I'm, I don't want to do that right now. I don't feel that it's the right place or the right time, but I just wanted to show you a way that you could also connect with yourself. And that's a typical way that I would take my clients through. So they'd see me for a couple sessions in the beginning, and then we would split into individual work, and we would work with a lot of these inner wounds. Yeah, perfect, perfect. And the interesting thing was... As I was telling her I loved her and everything, she grew to be 12. She wasn't four anymore. So I don't know what that means, but I just knew she was 12. <laughs> and that could be various things. It could be, you know, her letting go. It could also be that there's memories associated with that specific grief feeling. So there could be something at four and then something at 12. There's different moments we could explore. But I just felt for today, for the context of it, to not go too deep. But yeah. I love that she immediately wanted to speak and she could tell you what she needs. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that. I don't do that. I do a, a similar process where I'll put people in an imaginary train where they kind of go back in life. And when certain things, you know, hit them, then that's where we stop the train and we work on the um, what's going on for them then. Um, and that, that seems to work. Um, most of the time, there are some people that are very resistant to that. Mm -hmm. So when you're working with um, your clients, do you ever have a client that sits there and almost gets to where they refuse to participate in some way? Does that ever happen? It does happen. Um, it's not, what I love about this process is how quickly our body wants to talk. Mm -hmm. uh, our body really holds on to the trauma and to the memories. And so when we go into it, it's 95% of the time, I would say the people are surprised with what comes up and how much comes out. And they're like, well, I don't normally do imagination or I'm not very creative or I don't really think like this. And I can't believe these things that just came out. So it's really beautiful to see there are, because you've been doing the healing work and because of the, the, the openness you have to share, I felt comfortable to do it with you online. I think um, it's a very delicate process and the people that are resistant, I would have a conversation with the resistance because that resistance has been put in charge for a really long time and it's exhausted but it's still trying to protect you it's not trying to hurt you it's not trying to do you in so to take it from that angle of realizing that those resistances are protective skills there's something that you're adapted to to try and protect you because being vulnerable was 
not only um, maybe not liked, but it was probably shamed or ridiculed or not allowed growing up. So there's a lot of work that needs to be to make it safe first. Yeah. Well, I would say for people that are um, over a certain age, that's definitely what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because uh, when I was growing up, you know, the main thing that people, most people said was children are to be seen and not heard, you know, and so you were not encouraged to speak up, you know, and if you got too emotional, you were asked to leave the room, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so I only, you know, there's no telling what my parents were de had dealt with because of, you know, the the way they dealt with what we went through, you know, it was what they learned. And I'm sure they adopted and added things that they wish they had had as a child. Cause I think that's what I know for me, that's what I do is like anything that I felt like was um, off kilter or that I wished I had had this part, you know, um, that I, I made sure that I, I had that, you know, with my children for the most part, but I still brought that other stuff with me. So it was almost kind of yeah. like you kind of, you fluctuate back and forth. And I know I saw something on your Facebook about like you mentioned the, the workshop and you were talking a lot about, um, or what I saw, um, and you know what it is, what we, what we need, we pay attention to. Right. Um, yeah. and so what I saw was a lot of things about how to effectively argue, and so that to me is intriguing because, you know, a lot of times we look at his argument is, um, especially if you're like me from the things that I've gone through, it's mm -hmm. like an argument is a bad thing. And, you know, and so you do everything you can to keep peace. And uh, so you don't have the argument because it doesn't seem to fix anything anyway. Um, so I was really um, drawn to those posts that you did about, um, being able to argue with your spouse and communicate in a way that it things get resolved. So can you kind of mm. talk about that? Because that's very intriguing. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. I would hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. I think that 99% of all the clients that see me, they start with saying it's a communication issue. And like you mentioned, the layers earlier, it, what represents as a communication issue is so often deeper and it's a trust issue it's a safety issue and for me there's two things that popped up while you were talking the one part that I felt to bring up is that I don't feel that women you know men were told especially about feelings don't it's girly it's you know don't be such a girl don't be such a baby emotions generally uh, I picture like a teenager you know not doing well in his exam if he had a burst out crying he'd be teased but mm -hmm. if a girl burst out crying she'd most likely be comforted and told it's okay and you know she'll be better next time so that sort of stereotype around emotions but I do feel that women aren't really taught that anger is safe they're taught that anger is you know you're a bitch if you're angry mm -hmm. so confrontation argument anything that looks like that can be really scary because I believe that anger is our alarm system it's something that tells us something's off you know, it could be that the, the the sensor is too finely tuned on your alarm system. If you're exhausted and you haven't had much sleep, you'll be hypersensitive to different sounds right. and different things. But generally, when we're starting to get angry, it's telling us, I don't feel safe. My boundaries being stepped over or I don't feel taken care of or I don't feel considered. Or, 
but because we're so scared of anger, we let it bubble over and over, you know, we stuff it in and stuff it in and stuff it in until eventually erupts and then we become aggressive. And aggressive and anger is not the same thing. Aggression is where we we're we're not safe with our anger anymore. And in a fight, typically there's a lot of aggression. It's raw emotions. Your kid has taken over. Terry Real often says, you know, it's time to take your kid's grabby fingers off the steering wheel and take back the the you know the car, take back the driver's seat and the ownership. And when we're arguing, so often it's our, our inner kid that's trying to make our points. And that's why it doesn't make sense. And that's why it's all over the show. And for me, for women to really start feeling safe with being angry, it's like being allowed to feel safer again because anger is your safe your alarm system i live in south africa so you know my most of the houses have alarms here that's generally pretty safe i feel very safe but we do have an alarm and if you don't have your alarm on you feel more vulnerable and for women we, we don't have that alarm on we typically feel more vulnerable and now with that on top of it i think we're hyper vigilant to signs and possible you know my husband frowned he must be angry with me or and we can we can sometimes exaggerate a response not this is by no means and the last thing I want is because a lot of men say that women uh, you know it's exaggerated because they're so emotional but they what happens is they don't trust themselves because now did I go over the top or was I being too sensitive or was I this and so a lot of my communication were comes back to first building the trust in themselves and getting that trust back with being able to be angry and to be allowed to be. And then the arguments itself, I mean, there's ways that we bring it up. There's a lot of do's and don'ts of how we communicate practical tools, but I find those foundations are help so much because once we've got that, if we feel safe within ourselves, we feel like we trust ourselves. It's a lot easier to implement those tools. And a lot of these tools are, feel more natural I won't say common sense because I think it's so subjective to how you grew up what's logical yeah. or not but overall there's a lot more empathy and compassion and teamwork when we're having a discussion than there is when we're triggered yeah yeah so I know you're married so when you first got married were you good at communicating <laughs> I'm still learning <laughs> <laughs> So does that mean it's, no? No, no. I we I think that we have an advantage over the you know the couples that I can relate to, which is regarding friends or clients, because I'm a lot more aware and I can take a lot more breaks. But I don't think it's anywhere close to perfect. But I also tell my clients, you know, my goal isn't to make them never argue again. It's about arguing better, about not going as bad as it normally does. And then being able to make repairs. The repairs are so important. Right. Well, I can say that if you're not arguing about something, somebody's getting run over because, you know, especially my first marriage, we didn't argue because yeah. I didn't speak up. So there was nothing to argue about, you know. And if most of the time, if there was anything I said, it became, it could become an argument. But for the most part, we didn't argue because I just, you know, there I was. Um, and then when I had my, my second marriage, when we would argue, it was like, I wanted it to be this conversation, but it always ended up being a shouting match. And, um, and so I didn't quite know how to do anything with that either. So I would start, you know, 
shoving it down and not speaking up. And I think that's when we really started, you know, having this divide because neither one of us were, were able to communicate in a way that could foster this good relationship. And so that's why we did so good dating because you don't have the day-to-day -day things that you discuss and creates arguments, primarily money, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's fascinating to me. And I really would like to be in a place as I'm learning more about myself and, and adjusting things to be able to communicate better so that I can have those clear cut boundaries and stay with that. And these are things that I work with my clients with, but, you know, mm -hmm. usually when we're working with people with stuff, it's because we have the same shit. We just may be a little bit further along than they are. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would love it if you could kind of share how, when you and your husband were first together, how you recognized um, I know you were working on this kind of stuff already, so you had a little bit of a head start on the rest of us, but how did you actually um, decide this is something that I need to work on? Um, we're going to do this together, and then I'll be able to help other people with that. Awesome. <laughs> Just to backtrack just a moment, I'm okay. going to answer that question now, but one of the things I was thinking about was how in your first marriage you were, you know, you just kept quiet, you wouldn't say anything, and in the second marriage you tried to share, and for me what I was thinking about when you were talking was just how there's a part of you that knows the power of your voice, and it's like sort of learning that volume button, like which, how soft, how loud, and being okay with playing with it, being allowed to, okay, this is too soft, this is too loud, this is just right. In this scenario, this is okay. And I love the fact that you've got a podcast because it's it's a place where you are allowed to say, this is my power, this is my authority, this is my loud, this is my authentic. And getting positive feedback saying, it was good enough, it's beautiful, it's raw and it's unfiltered. And that's that's enough. That's perfect. It doesn't need to be more. Um, I really think that's such a beautiful journey of finding your own voice. Thank you. Well, that's the reason I started my podcast was because um, I felt I felt like I had filtered my voice in one way or another my whole life. And when I started seeing podcasts and different things, I thought, well, that's what I'll do. And that way I can, if people don't want to listen, they can just turn it off. They don't have to, they don't have to listen. Right. And then when mm -hmm. I started recognizing that people were spending so much time with, um, you know, editing this and doing all these different things that held me back for a long time. And then I thought, if I'm wanting to have my authentic voice, why do I want to edit it? So I just said, okay, I'm not going to edit it at all. And, and I will say I've had a few people that have, I've talked to that wanted to be on the podcast until they heard that I don't edit anything. And then they backed out. Oh. Um, not that many. I mean, because I've got quite a few episodes um, on, but um, to me, it feels amazing. And I don't, I don't let, and I'm not chastising anybody that does this stuff, you know, at all. I just know what's best for me because mm. I've hidden my authentic self for a very, very long time. And mm. so I even won't use the filter things that are available on the different 
technology things because mm-hmm. I figure if I'm not going to filter my voice, why do I want to filter my appearance? And and I know I'm getting off the subject tremendously, mm-hmm. but the thing that breaks my heart is people that are doing these tutorials on on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, um, doing all this recreation of them through makeup to where they do not even resemble who they are. And I think the most disheartening thing a person could ever do, in my opinion, is Mm. to have this face that they've made up and they go out into the world like that. And then they come home and they take that face off and then they don't even recognize who they are. And Mm. that, breaks my heart. So, um, but that's totally a different thing, but (laughs) I just wanted to add that. No, I think we can go for hours and hours and talk about some of the things that I think that's putting society in danger with regarding to our our hyper sense of independence and a superficial way of how we think we need to be. And I think our teenagers and our kids have a very, very tough road of being authentic despite all the filters ahead of them. Because if we're struggling without growing up with that, how much more them where they see yeah. everything. I was thinking the other day, even the beach these days needs to have a filter. You know, that's not blue enough. That's not white Oh, yeah, enough. that's true. No, no. <laughs> so everything has layers. But back to your question on my husband and I, one of the things that stood out for me I did a, a training of Brene Brown's years ago, Brene Brown, and she said in there, choose discomfort over resentment. And that really struck a chord with me because I am a recovering work in progress, people pleaser, conflict avoider. And in that process, it was I knew there was a reason we connected. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's very few women who aren't. Yes. Um, but so that choosing discomfort over resentment really, when I met my husband and I just felt like he's such a special person and it took me a while really honestly of doing what I thought was right, you know, keeping quiet, nodding, like, yes, that's perfect. Let's do that. Let's do that. I didn't recognize the people pleaser at work there. And then when my anger started welling up because something happened or he said something and I tried to suppress it, then I realized, hang on, if I want this to work long-term, I've got to practice what I preach. And one of the big things, I I did a a Facebook post and it's quite a while back, a few years ago, I think, where there's a picture of a lady that's leaning backwards like that and like those gymnasts that go all the way with their hands behind their heads, you know, onto the floor and I was... And I just did like if you're leaning over, if you if you're leaning over backwards for other people, they can't see who you are. And it, it's just about how if I want our relationship to work, I've got to be in that relationship too. Right. And so that choosing discomfort over resentment was a big part of it because every time you know you were saying just now about keeping quiet and not saying anything, every time we do that many 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 of the marriages i see are people suffocating from resentment there's women that are drowning in resentment from things that either they've said but the other person didn't think was important um because of the way they said it or the timing of what they said or because they didn't grow up with the same logics and one thinks it's logic or because they kept quiet about it but that resentment we think will cause change but it only hurts ourselves yeah yeah 
Perfect. Well, thank you for, for sharing that. Um, and I will say one of my favorite books that I recommend quite a lot is, and I can't remember the author's name, but it's called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And oh, wow. it's it's Sounds all amazing. about how we um, we suppress all these emotions and everything. And then that's when all these other things start happening because we've suppressed all these emotions and they have to come out at some point. And so it, it can come out as something totally unrelated to what was actually the issue. And another um, author that I, I love is uh, Michael Sanger, Singer. Are you familiar with him? The Untethered Soul? Oh, yes. yes yeah, sorry. yeah. Because in The Untethered Soul, he talks a lot about how we we have these these feelings about a certain thing and then we hold on to it and hold on to it. And then years down the road, something triggers that feeling mm -hmm. and we don't even know why we're pissed off and angry at our family that's in the car, you know? Um, and so it's those two books were really instrumental in helping me to, to see how when we don't deal with it, this is can happen. It let me see it but it didn't necessarily help me to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so, you know, as I, as I became a, I'm, I'm a health coach, a life coach, a master transformational coach. And the, one of the things that did help me was as I was going to school for these different things, you know, we work with other mm -hmm. coaches and they're, you know, working with us and doing all of our things that we're supposed to be doing with our clients. And there was so many times that I would get on this session with one of these other students. And to say I was crying is an understatement because I would get that old, that snot running down your face, you know, <laughs> crying and everything, because it was like things I had buried so deep that I, you know, I didn't even realize they were there anymore. And mm -hmm. it helped me to get some of that stuff out. And when you talk about the discomfort, holy shit, that was some uncomfortable stuff. And if I hadn't been invested financially so much, I might've said, mm. this is too hard. Um, but thank God I didn't. Um, and, you know, I'm still a tremendous work in progress as all people are. Um, but the, the, the mountains that I've overcome to just be able to be here today is astronomical. Um, and so I know I still have some more mountains to climb and I'm good with that, but it's fascinating. You know, you work with people to do this communication, this relationship thing. And so it's mind boggling. How do you help all these people and still stay centered in yourself and not just get all that that angst and energy entering into you. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. all this is energy. And I can even feel sometimes when I work with a client that has a really strong energy and a hard time, I can feel it afterwards. You know, I'm either very elated or I can be very down and I have to ground myself and do different things. So what do you do to help not bring all of that stuff that you're helping people with into your being? I learned the hard way. I had severe burnout, um, compassion fatigue, and, you know, all of the rest, but adrenal fatigue was for sure 
uh, a problem because I wasn't. It was between juggling little kids and work and trying to run the household and all sorts of things going on. But what I, I literally sometimes there's some clients that I would I, I will go like this and I could just yeah. feel myself like I just need to get this energy off of mine. It's not because they're bad or anything like that. It's just it's heavy. It's not mine. I don't right. want it. Um, I I've got a walk group. I go swimming right through winter and summer. I've got a close group of friends that we go swimming with once a week. I have boxing twice a week. I love it. It just it's also a way to just let it out and you know this so this the shift that I take. And for me, I think a big part of it is when I hear you know from the parents like the feedback and how happy the kids are and how their confidence has grown and how things have just shifted in the family that that really that makes it all worth it yeah I mean that just kind of makes it warms your heart right right because sure. I know I love when my client reaches out to me and says you're just not going to believe the difference that I have right now and um you mm -hmm. know and it is just, you know, people that reach out on Facebook too, and they'll say, I love what you're sharing and you, you made my day. And it, it's like, oh, this feels good. It's worth it. Um, but I will say when I first started doing this work, I knew people in person, you could mm. had energy, but it was when I started working on pe with people online, I was blown away with the amount of energy mm -hmm. that you can, um, you can, that grabs a hold of you um, in, in that way too. So yeah, I, I have to, I have to do the release and then I have to take off my shoes and ground on the floor or go out in nature just to kind of decompress. And the funny thing was, I looked at, you know, when it was, uh, when they were having angst in a hard time, that that was the energy I needed to remove, right? Well, then it came to realization that when it's an elated thing and you leave, I get really um, hyped up and energized. And some of mine I do later in the day. And when I do that, you know, I couldn't even sleep because I'd be so excited and everything. I didn't realize that that was their energy too. And mm -hmm. that it was better for me to have my energy. And so I learned through this process to release the energies. And I think one of the things that I want all the listeners and everything to, to take away from this part right here is that everybody has energy. And that's why when you walk into a crowded room full of people and you don't know a soul there, you know exactly what table to go to or who to speak to because you can feel their energy. And you also know which areas you don't want to go over there and talk to them. It just doesn't feel comfortable. And so if you can feel the energies like that, and then our energy reaches out around us, you know, what is it they, how far is it they say, because it's our personal space. And, you know, so there's this energy everywhere. And so you can actually be um, taking on other people's energy, whether it's good or bad. So it's always a great thing to be someone who meditates and grounds by putting your bare feet on the floor or on the grass outside, mm. weather permitting, um, hug a tree or do different things that like you do the swimming and the boxing and everything that creates it where you only have your energy and not somebody else's. So to me, that's really an important distinguishing thing to me 
that I didn't know for a very long time that you can do that in person and electronically. Is that something you find as well? Most certainly. I work mostly online. And so I've definitely felt that. I have a, a, there's a lady that does Reiki here in in our town and she's got clients overseas and I never thought you could do Reiki online, but apparently you could. Yeah. And you can. And and I get it because I do these things. When you were talking now about the room, walking into the room, I just felt that might be important for your listeners. Like something I see a lot is people mistake safety and for familiarity. So you can meet somebody and you feel this connection and you think, okay, this must be love or this must be trust. or And it's actually a familiarity that there is from childhood. So when we heal our childhood wounds, when we do this sort of work, we get to trust our judgment of people as well. I've had so many people that say to me, why do I always attract this sort of person? Or why do I always land up with this sort of person? Uh, one of the most extremes that I saw was, for example, a client that said, that he just found out his wife had an eating disorder and after they've been married for many years and his mom had one, but he felt so ashamed. He'd never told anybody about it. So nobody knew that his mom had one and Harry married somebody of the same. Mm. So it's these, these patterns that we don't recognize. And unless we address them, they keep showing up. We keep going back into these relationships. And that's why I know we've gone back a lot of times, like you asking communication, I can give skills and I can give loads of tools. I've got tons, but if we don't recognize the patterns, we're going to keep filtering through our expectations based on our first relationships that we had. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said. Thank you for adding that in. You know, um, it's like one of the things that is important to me to recognize a lot of times for me is that, you know, our outer environment, our experiences, all a reflection of what's going on in here. And we can blame so-and-so so bad, um, but it's a mirror, a way for us to see what we need to work on. And yeah. um, so I've over the years, I've gotten where I, I, I look at it as a game of, you know, that really ticked me off when they said or did that. Now, how is that a reflection of me, whether it may not be how I'm acting, but maybe that's how I'm treating me, you know? Um, yeah. And so um, if I look at it as a, as a game of exploration, it doesn't hurt so mm-hmm. bad. And I don't look at it as the blame game for what they're doing. And I do have some people in my life that trigger me, whoa, big time. And I'm always, you know, <laughs> it's like, whoa, they said that, what is it about what they said? What is that causing in me and how can I take care of it? And sometimes Mm -hmm. I can figure it out and sometimes it takes a while, so. (laughs) For sure. And I I mean, I have my own therapist. I recently found a new one after a while, if not because mine ended. Um, But I do believe we all need a therapist. I don't think, you know, I think we'd all be better off, not necessarily just a therapist or a coach, but somebody that can help you to see the patterns because when you're in it, it's really hard to see. Yeah. With with regards to the example just now, I realized I didn't finish my thought, not because you interrupted, but because I and my thought jumped around. So when you're walking into that room, you mentioned that example of, you know, you'll know which table to go to and which one to avoid. 
our familiarity from childhood often has an impact on that. We might feel safer with this crowd than that crowd. And we will, so that energy is completely spot on. We feel attraction or, you know, safety or recognition there. So we'll go there. But if you find that, you know, you're typically drawn to the same wrong crowd and you can't understand why you're always in that sort of situation, then it's about this inner pattern that, that there's a familiarity there that needs to be healed. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So we are close to um, being at the end of our time. This has been amazing. I have enjoyed so much our conversation and um, you sharing some of your personal life with us and helping me with mine. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much um, for being here. Is there any last words of wisdom that you would like to impart everybody with and then tell them how they can reach you because I will be putting a description in the comments um, or I will be putting a description and then in there I will put the links to how to get in touch with you but if you would share it so that anybody that's listening and not actually looking would be able to to know right away. Wonderful thank you I can't believe it went so quickly it was lovely. Uh, parting words, I think that once we have a pattern of arguing, Esther Peral says it takes two people to create a pattern, but only one needs to step out to break it. And so when we having these arguments and these patterns, to be able to realize that we're on the same team. So before you have your conversation, you know it's coming up and you know it's going to go sideways, and you know this topic always goes there. Your job is to de-escalate yourself, to get yourself calm, not to find the best techniques and the best tools and how to persuade them but to realize we're on the same team. And if he's as strongly against this as I'm for it, what are his reasons? Not our assumptions of it. So to be able to take it back, completely step into, okay, they have to be feeling strongly about this for a reason. So I've just find that setting your intention before the conversation is like putting on your GPS before you go into a, a rough territory. You want to know where you're going. And typically we want to, we want to have this conversation because it's important or they did wrong or we have to prove to them. And that's going to get us lost even further. But yeah. if it is to understanding, if it is to, you know, how do we figure this out together? You're going to get out on the other side together. Definitely. And you know, that goes with conversations with our children and everything too. You know, that's Perfect. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Well, um, and how do they uh, reach out to you? My website is The Couples Connection. So it's www.thecouplesconnection.com and they'll be able to find all the information there. All right, perfectly said. So thank you so much um, for sharing and um, for being here with me today. And I want to remind everyone to do me a solid. And when you are watching this, you go ahead and whatever platform you're using, make sure you subscribe, like, and share because I want to be able to ensure that people like you get on here and I'm able to get your your ideas and your thoughts out into the world at a much bigger rate. So thank you again, everybody, and I will see you soon.